0: And welcome to Cosmos Science Daily, where journalists at the Cosmos Newsroom report on the latest research and discoveries and explain the science behind the headline news. Today's newsroom journalist and science graduate specializing in genetics, immunology and citizen science, Emma Perfetto, is hitting us with four fun science stories in approximately four times 2.5 minutes. And I am Dr. Sophie Calabretto, applied mathematician and fluid mechanist who really likes science stories and is bad at making numbered jokes. Emma tell me i hear that pupils may reveal the absence of visual imagination what is going on Starting off, do you have a visual imagination, Sophie? So that is where if I just, if you tell me to think of a thing, I can imagine it in my head. Exactly. So like if you're, you know, reading a
1: book, can you see it happening as a little film in your head as you go I can. Along? Yes, I can. Same, same. I can't imagine not being able to do that. No. But apparently one to three percent of the population can't. They have what's known as aphantasia, which is a lack of visual imagination ability. And apparently it can be detected through measuring pupil dilation, uh, according to a new study published in the journal eLife. So some psychology researchers found that the pupils of people with aphantasia don't respond when asked to imagine dark and light objects, whereas people with visual imaginations do. So they studied the pupillary reflexes of 42 participants who had self-reported as having a visual imagination and 18 participants with aphantasia by fitting them with these special glasses to track their eye movements and their pupil size. Participants were exposed to bright or dark shapes against a grey background, which then induced a constriction in response to the bright shapes of their pupils and a dilation in response to the dark shapes. They were then asked to imagine those same shapes and the pupils of the participants with a visual imagination still constricted and dilated appropriately, whereas those with aphantasia their pupillary responses didn't significantly differ between the two.
0: Okay, so what I'm taking away from this is I can work on a new party trick, Emma, and if I I can work out if my friends have aphantasia just by asking them to imagine a bright light and then staring at their eyeballs to see if their pupils constrict.
1: Potentially. They did use specific little glasses to measure the pupil dilation and constriction. So potentially your eyes are going to be, you know, able to see the difference, but I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes.
0: Um, I'll let you know uh, once I alienate my friends at the next party I go to. So I hear now that you have the secret to better coffee and it has to do with the birds and the bees. Emma, I don't know what that means. Let me know.
1: (laughs) Um, So researchers have found that coffee beans are bigger and more plentiful when you have birds and bees to protect and pollinate the coffee plants. Um, So, without the helpers, coffee farmers would experience a 25% drop in crop yields, which is a loss of more than $1,000 per hectare of coffee, um, which is according to a new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Um, So, researchers from Latin America and the US quarantined some coffee plants at 30 different farms. They excluded birds and bees with a combination of large nets and small uh, lace bags. They tested four different scenarios, so bird activity alone uh, in which they were undertaking pest control, bee activity alone when they were undertaking pollination, no bird or bee activity, and finally a natural environment where both of them could do their jobs. And they found that the positive effects of birds and bees on the amount of fruit, the fruit weight and the fruit uniformity, which are all sort of key factors in coffee quality and the price of them, were greater in combination than just the sum of their individual contributions so they emphasize the importance of measuring these contributions of you know pollinators and birds to help protect and conserve the many species that we depend on and sometimes take for granted so the birds and
0: the bees aren't just a weird metaphor for sexual reproduction they are in fact helping you get that juicy caffeine hit in the morning the much much needed caffeine hit <laughs> So, fungal phone calls is what we're talking about next. And Emma, I don't even have a joke. I don't know what we're talking about. What, what are fungal
1: phone calls? So, a scientist who has been looking at fungi communication has identified patterns of electrical activity that could resemble human speech, uh, according to a new study published in Royal Society Open Science. So, they did this by inserting tiny electrodes into the bo- blocks of substrate colonised by four different species of fungi. You're talking about ghost fungi, split splitgill, and caterpillar fungi. And uh, Andrew Adamansky, a professor in unconventional computing at the Department of Computer Science and Creative Technology in the University of the West of England, was able to measure the electrical potential difference between these electrodes. He found that the spikes in electrical potential often clustered into trains of activity, uh, which might be used by fungi to communicate and process information in their mycelium networks. These are the root-like structure of the fungus across the dispersed fungal colonies. Using some mathematical analysis, he then showed that the distributions of the lengths of these spike trains follows the distribution of word lengths in human language, and could resemble vocabularies of up to 50 words.
0: So I'm really looking forward to Duolingo adding mushroom to my choice of languages to learn in the future. Sensational. And finally, Emma, you're going to tell me about a new kind of 3D printing, I believe.
1: Yes. So some Stanford University engineers in the US have developed a new kind of 3D printing that doesn't rely on building objects up layer by layer and removes the need to support the structures, which is typically required for creating complex designs. In this new technique, which is described in a paper published in Nature, uh, the printed object is fully supported by a really thick resin Kind of if you imagine an action figure floating in the centre of a big block of jelly. Um, So it can be added to from any angle. It works by focusing a red laser into this gelatinous resin that then hardens when exposed to blue light. When the laser hits one of these tiny nanomaterials that's scattered throughout the resin, it's converted into blue light at that really precise focal point, which then cures the resin this method uses what's known as triplet fusion up-conversion, uh, where with the right molecules in close proximity to another, you can create a chain of energy transfers that turns low-energy red photons into really high-energy blue ones.
0: Okay, so that was a bit of a doozy, Emma. If I am to understand correctly using my favourite new analogy of an action hero in jelly, so they're shining red light into the jelly that has these kind of nanomaterial sprinkles in them and when that red light hits a sprinkle, it turns to blue light and then the blue light hardens the jelly at that point. So essentially our action figure is a 3D printed action figure made of light-hardened jelly. Yeah. Exactly. Amazing. Science. (laughs) Everyone, science. Well, thank you, Emma, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to keep an ear out for our next instalment of Cosmos Science Daily. This podcast was brought to you by Cosmos, a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia.
1: Ever wondered how old the Earth is and how we know? Or exactly how popping candy works? From Listener and Cosmos magazine comes Huh? Science Explained, a weekly podcast where we answer all of life's questions, big and small. No lab coats required. And we'll do it in 10 minutes or less. Search Huh? Science Explained. Download the Listener app now and listen for free. Listener.